This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The Ivy League is in the crosshairs, and so are Catholics. What else is new? The FBI is campaigning to get FISA renewed, and Facebook fosters pedophiles, you think? (laughs) I'm Monica Perez, and here is today's news roundup. Uh, By the way, I was going to hit some financial stuff, but last night I did a show with Jason Purcell, our resident finance guru. And he talked about interest rate outlooks, economic outlooks, good stuff. So you might want to check that out on wherever you listen to my show. If you're listening now on YouTube, you can comment. And later on, I'll go and read the comments and we can interact. I'm also broadcasting on Rockfin and Rumble, but I cannot see the comments from those platforms right this second. So in future shows, maybe, but right now, go to YouTube, log in, chat. And I'll hit the comments after. If you want to actually chat with each other, that's fine. If you want to give me a comment, put a little asterisk in front of it so I know it's for me and not each other. So thank you very much. Uh, Okay, so first story for today, Republican lawmakers spar with university presidents at campus anti-Semitism hearing. The leaders of Harvard, Penn, and MIT say they are taking steps to confront anti-Jewish antagonism. Okay, so Congress called before them these university presidents. They're all chicks, of course. I know that's true for, like, boards now, too. So, I mean, whatever. It just annoys me because is is it such an easy job that anyone can do it? Or is it particularly chick-oriented so that only chicks can really do the best job because they're probably disproportionately represented? Or maybe just the pendulum is swinging. Anyway, they say that they are taking action against, quote, harassment, discrimination, or incitement to violence. I mean, it's probably a little tricky to prove discrimination. I don't like that. Harassment's probably pretty obvious. Incitement to violence, actually, is also something that I'm not crazy about there because think of what they're doing to Trump. They are saying that he incited people to violence on January 6th. I'm not even sure there was violence on January 6th. So... I feel like if that if that's your standard, it's going to be, you know, people are in danger just for showing up. And actually, one of the congresswomen, Republican Congresswoman Elise Stefanik, asked Harvard's gay, the president's name is something gay, uh, if she would take disciplinary action against individuals who participated in rallies where there were calls for an intifada or a violent Palestinian uprising. So first of all, she's saying, are you going to take action against people who participated in rallies where there were calls? So there's freedom of assembly. You go to the thing and some government agent, no doubt, starts saying radical stuff. 
and calls for an intifada. So you need to, so what do you do? You stay home, right? It's intentionally chilling. Another thing they cited was e- this incitement includes chants such as from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free and globalize the intifada. So it says that those are incitements of violence against Israelis and Jews more broadly. So I can see globalize the intifada, but calling for freedom, you know, is that necessarily an incitement to violence? I would say it's a call for, you know, freedom, however you can get it. So, and that's actually uh, the problem is that Every time there's a war, it seems like, or if you look back in history, even in our own history, the land of the free, whatever, when there's a war, the government and its lapdog media wants the war. The the money people want the war, whoever, the power people want the war, the people don't usually want the war. And then there are some courageous journalists or whatever, in this case, students, I guess, who will stand up against it. And they are often maligned as being whatever, racist or fascist or like, you know, working for the enemy rather than just objecting to the war. And in this case, there's a lot of um, uh, accusations that there are, uh, that it's racist and, and a prejudice. Prejudice is what they say a lot. But that really diminishes people's ability to look a little deeper into the the causes of a war that the last time we had this conversation, we talked about the just war, the tenets of a just war. There are six or seven tenets of a just war. What if you look at it and you just don't think it's a just war? And I would say almost no wars are just wars, very few wars, and they're always only defensive. And I would say usually the defense stops at your own border. I mean, when you get past that, I'm saying that's, I could see legitimate disagreements about whether it's a just war, regardless of whose ethnicity you prefer, if you prefer an ethnicity at all. And I noticed that Colombia was not at this meeting where Colombia did ban two groups and one of them was Jewish Voices for Peace. So I don't know how they're going to say that that was, that's prejudice. And, but actually Colombia is targeted for, uh, Let's see, it says, last week, the U.S. Education Department's Office for Civil Rights added Harvard to the list of schools the agency is investigating as part of a federal crackdown on race and religion-based harassment. Other schools under investigation for possible civil rights violations include Penn, Wellesley College, and Columbia University. So maybe Columbia will um, vet that issue and see what the answer is. I doubt it, but whatever. Okay. So one of the questions, I this was a Wall Street Journal article I was reading, and one of the questions is, why is Congress getting involved in this? And of course, like Varsity Blue, where they crack down on private people for giving money to private universities, which yours truly benefited greatly from because I got a complete free ride, including housing. I mean, I, could, I couldn't even afford food. They didn't buy me food, and I literally lost 12 pounds. <laughs> My freshman 15 was like loss, not gain. So anyway, but... Uh, so why were they involved in that also? But the the reasoning is that the federal government gives so much money to these schools through financial aid and everything else that who pays the piper calls the tune. And some of these schools are the richest entities on earth, like have multi, I mean, mega billion funds. Like I know somebody who left investment banking to go work at one of these funds and it was considered a huge step up because 
she was she then you work for her. You come hat in hand to her office and ask her to buy your bonds or whatever. Anyway, so but the bottom line is I feel like because there was a flip side, they also said that Arabs and Muslims were being attacked on campus. So they really have no control whatsoever. Either this is all just complete lies or they really have no control and there's this escalation in physical violence or unruliness. And we've been watching this trend for a really long time. I think it started with the, or I'd say it was obvious with the Parkland school walkout. So my son who has Down syndrome and really doesn't follow, actually does follow the news pretty well. It's kind of disturbing how how propagandized he is for somebody who's definitely not you know seeking it out. But but his aide had him walk out because everybody in the class walked out for the Parkland after the Parkland shooting where the kids were saying you know disobey disobey, and it, the powers that be totally fostered this. And this is where you get and the defund the police and everything. I'm not in favor of authoritarianism. I'm just saying these are private institutions. They should have some control, but. But they're all, and this is part of what's happening here, they're getting everybody in lockstep. So they want everybody to be, have like ways of thinking. And here's the tell in this story is Gay, the president of Harvard said, anti-Semitism is a symptom of ignorance and the cure for ignorance is knowledge. So here's the door for, for propaganda. And I'm not saying, you know, whatever. I'm not talking about the issue of anti-Semitism. I'm saying She's saying what we need here is to push knowledge into kids' brains. And I'm, I, it's going to be inherently politically charged. She goes on to say, Harvard must model what it means to preserve free expression while combating prejudice and preserving the security of our community. So I feel like Harvard is going to set the standard. They're going to establish the model that everyone's supposed to follow. And they want to combat prejudice. Combat prejudice. I mean, Think about that. I'm sure what she means is, well, I assume what she means is bigotry, but are you not allowed to come into a situation armed with previous knowledge and got, come to a conclusion more quickly based on your experience? I've I've taken experiments where I've gone like a year or two years and say, I'm just going to, I'm going to pretend I'm a socialist. I'm going to just like look through a socialist lens. Eventually you just can't do it because it doesn't make sense anymore. And I'm just not, I'm not coming like a babe <laughs> out of the womb, every issue. And then the security of our community, of course, I mean, that just, that means cracking down. So I just feel like this started out as a way to chill people and they're going to have safe spaces for, you know, whatever, both, both thoughts, both, <laughs> both allowable thoughts. <sighs> then there was a survey released last month by the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League. This is from the Wall Street Journal, a Jewish advocacy, advocacy group and collegiate Jewish organization, Hillel International, who found that 73% of Jewish college students have experienced or witnessed anti-Semitism since the start of 2003-2004 school year. This is the thing that I find a little hard to believe. About 46% of Jewish students said they felt safe on campus, according to the poll. So 54% did not say they felt safe on campus. Now, that isn't to say they felt unsafe, but my daughter felt unsafe at school not too long ago. And she had a legit reason that bore some investigation. And we just removed her from campus briefly and it was resolved like the next day. But you don't like, if you truly feel unsafe, you need to uh, take action, you know, just get yourself safe. So it's, if they're saying 54% of the people feel actually unsafe, 
which is not exactly how they worded this, then I would expect there to be a lot of absenteeism. And so that's uh, anti-Semitism, anti-Muslim, anti-Arab sentiment. Well, on another article today is some anti-Catholic sentiment. Uh, the FBI's Ray says nobody was fired for the anti-Catholic memo, but some could miss out on raises. So the article is about there was a memo going around that said, oh, let's see. Let's see how they put it. The reason I want to read it from the article is because the articles, even the Judiciary Committee action, completely whitewash what the real problem is. So they say FBI has not fired anyone involved in drafting the memo that labeled traditional Catholics, quote, as potential domestic terrorists because the overstep was not intentional, Ray said. So they weren't saying traditional Catholics were potential domestic terrorists. That is not what the memo was about. Says some employees in the Richmond office where the memo originated have been admonished. He was aghast upon seeing the memo, but didn't, he felt it did not signal any deep anti-Catholic bias within the Bureau's ranks. And then the Judiciary Committee, this is another article from the actual government website, the Judiciary Committee uncovers multiple FBI field offices coordinated to prepare anti-Catholic memo. And they were busting Ray because they said that, okay, this is interesting language. It, they coordinated with the Richmond office, coordinated with multiple FBI field offices across the country to produce the memo targeting traditional Catholics as potential domestic terrorists. That's not really what it was. Uh, this contradicts Ray's previous testimony from July, where he stated that the action was limited to a single field office. In fact, Portland and Los Angeles also contributed, et cetera, et cetera. If you go and read the memo they produced, which was 11 pages long, the title of it is Interest of Racially or Ethnically Motivated Violent Extremists in Radical Traditionalist Catholic Ideology Almost Certainly Presents New Mitigation Opportunities Through the Exploration of New Avenues for Tripwire and Source Development. So they're talking about operations that they want to institute that is targeting traditional Catholic, I think at some they call it radical traditionalist Catholic ideology, and they include the Pope Pius X organized society, which I believe is a pre-Vatican II organization, like they want to go back to the Latin Mass and all that. I believe my mom, like, I don't know if it was Pius X, she likes one of those Piuses. <laughs> so anyway, but I, I'm a traditional Catholic. I'm not, I don't know what a radical traditionalist Catholic ideology means, but it goes through saying that racial or ethnically motivated violent extremists, R-E-M-V-E, something like that, R-M-V-E, are looking for traditional Catholic communities to infiltrate and bring their like white nationalist, white supremacist, racist, violent philosophy into those groups because they think they're the ones who, I mean, they follow the Ten Commandments. Bigotry is a sin against the Holy Spirit. Like, you're not getting Catholics to go along with this, not real Catholics. And so what So what I realized what they're doing is they're going into, this is this 11-page memo says, like, go, go to these places, go to traditional Catholic churches. And actually, I go to a traditional Catholic church and I, I stopped contributing this week because they were warmongering from the pulpit. I was like, are you kidding me? 
Are you kidding me? Like, don't you do your research? Gay was right. Like, anti-Semitism and prejudice, whatever, is born of ignorance. And this warmongering, which was not anti-Semitic, was definitely a guy who just not doing his homework and didn't care and probably has a political reason to pick one side over the other. And I just was so disenchanted by that. But, you know, I have seen that. So when I say good, true Catholics, like they're not going to do that. It, it's not like there aren't plenty of Catholic organizations that I think do have a political agenda and and lure people in with the traditional stuff because they're so freaked out by what's going on in the in the non-traditional churches. But what they're saying the FBI wants to do is to go into these churches and talk to the pastors and everything like that and alert the congregation to what what a radical, like a race-motivated race violent extremist might look like and blow the whistle. So what I think they're doing is, A, they're having people get suspicious of each other, they're calling each other's names, whatever. But I think they're identifying patsies. I think they're going to say, oh, I think this guy is screwy. So now you have it on record that somebody reported that person. You identify that person to the FBI. Then the FBI goes and takes that person in or whatever, like radicalizes them online. And then it says they want tripwires, which is usually a false flag. And they're saying that this is a tripwire. We'll get somebody to call this guy in, but that's not really what a tripwire is. So I think they're setting patsies up for false flags. That's what this is about. And then they also call source development. So that's also placing agents provocateur. They call them FBI sources, but they're really uh, operatives, of course. So this is what's scary about it. And it's going to come out of a traditional Catholic community. So... That's very scary and upsetting. They said that they've that these people are in RCIA, which is like the the where you become a Catholic, you have to be educated. They're studying the catechism. Pretty upsetting. Oh my gosh. And <laughs> in my research, so I'm looking, it's like, oh, the Southern Poverty Law Center like made made a list of 12 like radical Catholic organizations. This is one, that's one, this is one. <laughs> I was like, click through every one. I was like, oh, really? What is that? What is that? What is that? I'm like, oh my gosh. Like if anyone were to, <laughs> uh, if there's any algorithm that looks at somebody clicking on all those, like I just, I just tripped that. But I feel like I'm being, I, I'm probably, it's probably not the worst thing that I've ever, the worst flag I've ever th flown up for the watchers. Anyway, they talk about catalyzing events. So something like Roe versus Wade getting overturned was a catalyzing event that could bring these groups together. And I totally, totally think that that anti-abortion activism among Catholics is what has been hijacked or even just taken as a model for Q, for the pedophile stuff. It's just it just had such staying power. And I think they definitely want to exploit that. And they... So they said this is going to go on and on. It's going to accelerate until the election. So watch out. Watch out. All right. Oh, one thing, and I actually have some of these. My father used to read it. The Remnant, the Southern Poverty Law Center, cited the Remnant newspaper as, I don't know what, some kind of like hate group. I don't know. All right. It says... The FBI says this is not about the First Amendment. It's not about restricting people's rights to assembly. Yeah, right, whatever. So I guess Ray was was in the hot seat or in front of Congress today because he had like a few, there's a few articles about him, the head of the FBI. 
they the this says senator whatever senator i didn't even write it down absolutely no reason to trust you is the headline senator grills fbi chief over agency's warrantless surveillance so i was like oh wow like that's you know that's interesting what's new here and there's absolutely nothing new there he just said like we want to talk about this that and the other thing and ray said something to the effect of well, we've made all these changes. We've implemented them. I can't share the details with you right now, but trust me. So this gave Ray an opportunity to defend himself, to push that forward, because the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act is coming uh, up for renewal for another four years at the end of the year. And I feel like I should probably do a deep dive on that. It's been a while since I've looked at it. But that's the thing that, that that the court was a rubber stamp. You could ask any judge for any or the judge for any wiretap you wanted. It was kind of like what we talked about, Eric Buchanan, with the wheat field cases where a farmer was eating his own corn and that was considered interstate commerce. You know, it's like you exist in a world that has immigrants, so therefore it's a foreign, you know, you have some touch of foreign so they can just in, listen to everybody all the time. So, of course, it's going to get renewed. I mean, come on. We're not going backwards. The only way stuff like that does not get renewed or comes under scrutiny is if they've got something else in place to replace it because technology has changed or they want more. They figured out something better. Anyway. Oh, and the third article. So that last one about Pfizer was on Axios, but this third article is in the Washington Times. Go figure. It says, FBI director says U.S. facing high level of threats. Quote, I see blinking lights everywhere. All right, so I think I might have read this article first. It says, while there may have been times over the years where individual threats could have been higher here or there than where they might be right now, I've never seen a time where all the threats or so many of the threats are all elevated all at the exact same time. This is just another multitasking use of like the violence in the Middle East, for example. Like they're always going to use something big like that for many, many reasons. So then he goes on to say that he sees threats from Hamas, from Iran, from border crossings. And I immediately, after having read all the stuff about the Catholics, thought, why doesn't he say domestic terrorism? Isn't that like, you know, the thing these days? And then I realized because he's shilling for the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance <laughs> Act this week. So I'm sure in January, after this is passed, will will that domestic terrorism stuff will be coming to the fore. I'm sure radical traditional Catholics, although not radical, government radicalized maybe, although it is possible that having exposed this, they aren't going to move forward with that plan, which would be super excellent. <sighs> However, you know, this is the first I heard of it, and I know it's been going on for months, so maybe it isn't very well known. All right, so getting back to, like, school propaganda, there's a story today, again, in the Washington Times. I guess I normally I just read the Wall Street Journal from cover to cover, but there was just not anything interesting in there. I don't, of course, I don't read it for the information. I feel like there are two kinds of people who read the Wall Street Journal. 99% of them think they're, cool for understanding what it says. And then there's 1% of them who's just reading it to understand what it's telling those people. <laughs> so anyway, supporters, this is the title from Washington Times, supporters, critics, spar over California law on teaching media misinformation in public schools. So there is a California 
bill actually was signed by Newsom, the governor here, which and it's going to take place on January 1st. Now, this isn't just public schools. When I came out here and was going around to schools to they have little like meet the school day or whatever, and they all <laughs> showcase this media um, savvy classes or whatever. And I was horrified because like everything they were saying would completely get me not in, I would get screened out by every single student on earth. And one of the things they asked was if you, if you're looking for a restaurant to go to, would you sooner believe the New York Times food critic or Yelp? And I was like, Yelp, definitely. I would much rather, I totally believe 5,000 four-star reviews on Yelp than somebody who might be on the take or whatever. But that was the wrong answer, sadly. And I and I did shout it out. I didn't even raise my hand. So I was I that was not the school for me or or my children, I guess. Anyway, so but here's the thing. They are talking about media literacy lessons in K-12 math, English, science, and history classes. And they will be taught to weigh the ethical standards of digital news and opinion sources and how to create their own appropriate, responsible, and healthy media content. Now, I actually went and looked at the law that they passed right now. And it says, it, all it says is that, first of all, I don't even understand why it's a law and not just the Department of Education, but there's something called the Model Library Standards, something like that. What's it called exactly? Model library standards. Yeah. And they're putting that in the curricula. So I looked that up and actually, you know, it was fine. I, I, it, there's nothing in it, but I, but, but I do know, I do understand why people object. It's like the common core, like the actual content isn't there. And it does seem to be addressing like real skills. However, I think really where the danger lies is it gives an opportunity for teachers in all the classes to insert their opinions and politics. So my son wrote a paper and he used a really well-documented book from my bookshelf here, really well-documented. And I didn't realize he was going to cite it. <laughs> I thought, and he should have known. I should have told him, you don't cite books off of my shelf. You cite the books that those books have in the footnotes. You cite the primary sources, you cite the mainstream sources, whatever, but you can't put that stuff in there. And of course, he thought he was going to get an A+. It was like straight out of a Christmas story. Like, <laughs> he did not. <laughs> he shot his eye out. But uh, so that's where... So that's where the danger lies, is that it's actually giving the opportunity to the teachers to impart their, their poor research skills to the table. And, and why does that woman say New York Times critic and Yelp? New York Times critic can be corrupted. 500, Yelp, I doubt it. I mean, you can get your people to call in, but 5,000, you know, at a certain point and read them. You know what I mean? I, I always read the one, the one stars and see what those people say. I usually believe the one stars. Anyway, so... Oh, and Fueling the Fire, the guy who wrote it was the state assembly member, Mark Berman from Menlo Park. He said, from climate denial to vaccine conspiracy theories to the January 6th attack on our nation's capital, the spread of online misinformation has had global and deadly consequences. We have a responsibility to teach the next generation to be more critical consumers of online content and more guarded against misinformation, propaganda, and conspiracy theories. So he's telling you right there what his purpose is. But if you actually read the model standards, it doesn't say any of that stuff in it. 
But he, that's what he wants, and I'm sure that's what other people want out here, and they will probably get that. But there are other places that pass these laws who are Republican. But in any case, they act like it's about conservative thought. It should be about thought. It should be about thought. These, sh- these kids should be taught. You know what I would do if I were going to have a media literacy thing? I would teach them the fallacies, the uh, logical fallacies, argumentation fallacies. I picked out like four of them to, okay, so it's it's half past. It's 2.30. My little alarm went off. And that means that I'm going to finish this story, then read some comments, and then do some kind of extra stories after that. Bonus stories, let's call them. So just a few of the fallacies that I have a whole bunch here. I'll have in the show notes at deepdives.com, monicasdeepdives.com. I'll have a few fallacies. I'll have the link to all the fallacies, but I'm going to read you a few of them that would absolutely take care of all of kids would be able to understand articles that were good or bad if they if they knew these fallacies. One is the ad hominem fallacy. It occurs when you attack someone. It's really good. It's a, it's a, it's a really good link if you want to go check it out. Ad hominem fallacies occur when you attack someone personally rather than using logic to refute their argument. That's true. Burden of proof fallacy. This is a great one. That's if someone makes a claim, the burden of proof is on them. They, if you read an article, you have to assume that it is not true unless they prove it to you. Absolutely. Appeal to authority fallacy. Just, just having an authority. Now, this is like a little trickier because authority does is something to weigh. So I'll tell you how they, they say it. While appeals to authority are by no means always fallacious, they can quickly become dangerous when you rely too heavily on the opinion of a single person especially if that person is attempting to validate something outside of their expertise. I would also say when when there are like 5,000 scientists agree in climate change. Are they climate scientists? I'm sure the climate scientists will agree. Here's another one, the bandwagon fallacy. Just because a significant population of people believe a proposition is true doesn't automatically make it true. But I mean, this echo chamber, this flood the zone, the stuff that they do with propaganda to make you think, what did Binkley used to call it, like the... I want to call it the cone of silence or whatever, but the halo of, I don't know what. But it makes you feel like no one believes you, which is why, like, during lockdown, it was so important that we had the propaganda report because people needed to know they weren't alone. And that, I feel like, you know, they that is the one really great thing, I think, about the internet is that we get to communicate with each other, even though it's definitely deep state operation. All right, so here's what I did not tell people, that if you want to leave, I did tell at the beginning, but I didn't write it here. So in the future, if you want to leave a comment that you want me to address, I can do it a lot quicker if you put a little asterisk at the beginning. Oh, Terror Factory. Nate is saying Terror Factory 101 is a great book by Trevor Aronson. Brian says, love this show. How do you remember so much stuff? You know, I'm pretty good like that. Sometimes if I don't get a good night's sleep or whatever, but this, I I just, I read it today and it's pretty easy to recall. Oh yeah. David asked, how is this on YouTube? I just, I just went to sleep and woke up this morning thinking about it. Like, I keep doing that on YouTube. They're going to take my channel down. So I'm going to have to figure out, I I might have to just take it off as soon as we do it because I like the live thing. It's much easier to use than the other ones. I'll figure it all out. This was just kind of a pickup thing. I was just seeing if I could get some of these out because the deep dives were taking too long and I just could never get them done. So I haven't really thought it through, but I'm I'm going to. (laughs) 
yes, Kevin, it is always the opposite of what they say. I think it's it's the it's yeah, newspeak. CFR network. Yes, good night and good morning to you. Good night. This is he is in Birmingham, not Alabama, England. So it's it's the morning probably by now there. It, no, 11. No, it's night. Rumble will not take me down, and I am in Rumble. And yes, I do sound so much better. If anybody was listening to me like a month or two ago in October, I was sick for three weeks, and I just could not stop complaining about it because I was so sick. I think they keep rolling out new variants, whatever. Oh my gosh! My mom is loving the show? Shout out to mom. And by the way, the hidden friend who's there with mom right now Invented quite rightly, and I feel like she should start a Twitter feed, IMDB, Irene's Movie Database, because my mom, no, absolutely, like, there is no source of information about old movies better than my mom. And, uh, man, no, it's ridiculous. It's ridic. <laughs> anyway, so shout out to my mom and to the Hidden Fran. All right, so let's let's get to some, <clears throat> you know, after-hours stories. No, they're not, like... They're not racy or anything. It's just, I want to keep the show to 30 minutes. If people want to listen past that, uh, that's great. And if you're here on YouTube or Rumble or rockfin.com slash deep dives, you can get the whole show commercial free. And uh, other than that, <clears throat> this bonus material will most often just be for premium listeners, which right now is only available <clears throat> as far as podcasting goes on iTunes. There's a premium feature there. Again, if this catches on, I will expand all of that. All right. So a former Harvard disinformation scholar says she was pushed out of her job after college faced pressure from Facebook. It says a nationally recognized online disinformation researcher, Dr. Donovan, was acu has accused Harvard of shutting down the project she led to protect its relationship with the mega donor and Facebook founder, Mark Zuckerberg. I think her project, I have to remember it, I didn't write it down, was about like... Um, election interference or influencing on Facebook. I can't remember. She said that, now I actually don't even believe her story. I believe that the Harvard story that she was working on this project. It was spearheaded by a faculty member. Only faculty members can spearhead these projects. That person left the university and no other faculty member wants to, wanted to pick it up. So they shut it down. I believe that. And they said she wasn't even fired, which he's, I think they said other jobs would have been available to her and everybody else got a different job on campus. So. But what I found interesting about it is that I did not know this. She said, Donovan alleges that the university began restricting her research after the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative donated $500 million to fund a new university-wide center on artificial intelligence. So Harvard strongly disputes these allegations and say that they are above bias. I mean, they don't need to be influenced when they're on the same team, like, the, yes, they're giving them money to do AI, but they would be doing it anyway if they could. Like, it's they're happy to do it, I'm sure. However, so she was working on election misinformation. That's right. That's what she was working on. It had nothing to do with AI or pedophilia or anything like that. But this was another little nugget I found in the story was... Harvard said, oh, we're not, your project is not continuing, but we have a lot of work on misinformation. This dovetails with the California school story, but this is at the college level, to the point where they have a misinformation 
journal published six times a year that is that is just for professionals on misinformation. So check this out. It's called the uh, Harvard Kennedy School Misinformation Review. And it says, we review and publish high-quality interdisciplinary research that examines misinformation from different perspectives, from its prevalence and impact to the effectiveness of possible interventions. And of course, that's what it's about, right? So possible intervention, but it's totally scholarly. It's not meant for us. It's meant for the people who can implement this. And here are just, these might be all of the interventions that they listed, but post-exposure. So if you're exposed to misinformation, they can roll out debunking. And if you ever look at Snopes or whatever, I would say like 95% of the time, they're they're the ones producing the misinformation, that they're debunking something that was totally true and just committing a logical fallacy where they misconstrue what was said originally or take too narrow a scope or whatever. It's full of logical fallacies. Actually, that would be a fun project. So if I were a teacher and I wanted to teach my kids on media literacy and the hidden friend, I, I was going to ask her, like, because she she was a teacher and she did the right thing. So a lot of teachers do the right thing. But I would say, okay, here are the fallacies and here's Snopes. Everyone pick a different article from Snopes and identify the logical fallacies in the debunking article. <laughs> That's it. If any, listener, any listeners or teachers, tell me what you come up with if you're willing to do it. All right, pre-exposure. So you inoculate people by telling them in advance, oh, people are going to tell you that, you know, this drug is not safe, but I'm, but they're ignorant. They're ignorant. Trust-based where they want to promote trust in mainstream media. And they talk about the problems with that, like not everything is super trustworthy in all regards. So you have to curate. You don't want to uh, discredit a media outlet that's wrong about some stuff, but right about other stuff. So they like the little silo thing there. Here's here's the one that's right up front and center, context-based. And then like in parens or whatever, it's nudging. So they label your information. So like right here, you're watching it now, probably something's popped up. <laughs> so like this has got COVID misinformation or whatever. Now that I just said COVID misinformation, I'm guessing it definitely is going to say that I have COVID misinformation. And then here's the one that like, this is the problem, right? Supply side, preventing quote misinformation from getting out there in the first place. Yes, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Free speech uh, advocacy at its finest. They might as well call it propaganda studies. You know, like I have African-American studies, women's studies, <laughs> propaganda studies. We have time for one more? I think so. Oh, yeah. Facebook and Instagram. Oh, my gosh. I have to just throw CFR at <laughs> these crazy space monkeys with their lies. Ah, that's so funny. Okay. Oh, great. Glenn is a first timer. He likes the show. Let's keep going. Greetings, groovy humans. Okay, my dog came in and is now laying on top of this very precarious lamp that is giving me this beautiful golden globe. Glow. Oh, shit. It's going to fall off. Sorry. <laughs> that thing is falling over. So I should probably address this. Stand by. Samson is so uncool. Thank you. For first-timers like Glenn, you probably don't know that I have a dog that has separation anxiety, and usually he's 90 pounds and usually wants to sit on my lap while I'm doing the show. And I'm not a dog person. I'm not the one who did this. I don't know what's wrong with him. <laughs> just don't know. His mom stepped on one of his brothers and killed it. So it could be that. I'm his new mom. I don't know. Facebook and Instagram steer predators to children, a New Mexico attorney general alleges in a lawsuit. The New Mexico attorney general. 
State investigators test accounts with AI-generated photos. They established test accounts with AI-generated photos, and they were deluged with sexual propositions and adult sex content, they claim. Meta says it works hard to protect young users. So I don't know if you guys have ever tried to screen YouTube for sex stuff. Not possible. You can have the baby, like YouTube for babies, and that's it. So I've tried, maybe it's changed, but if I can't do it, your average mom can't do it. I'm not saying I'm above average, but I'm just saying I'm average, let's say. I could not do it. And I remember my daughter, she didn't have a phone until, I don't think she got a phone until she was 13. But way before that, she somehow accessed Instagram. I think it was like on a friend's thing. And she was developing relationships, which I did not know because it wasn't on any of my devices. And at a certain point, she got alarmed and she came to me and she said, this person wants me to meet her. She's a 13-year-old girl. Her parents died. She's like hungry and in trouble or whatever. She asked me where I lived. I was like, and she's like, but I I just, I don't want to hurt her feelings, but I'm a little worried. I was like, (laughs) it was super scary. Thankfully, my daughter knew, but this was on Instagram. And she made no bones about how old she was, my daughter. She wasn't pretending to be older. But what they did with these, with these is that they established accounts with fake faces. And the one thing, it was like a 10-year-old girl, they pretended her mother was trying to traffic her. I'm sure it was a fake child, but it was chilling. Like, I normally, I'm pretty jaded. This stuff goes right over my head. It was chilling. So what they do is they're, they make fake faces. So they don't use a real child or anything like that. And they make it an account that's very clearly a child. They put in an adult birth date because that's, that's what kids would do. Like if you want to protect kids, like just verify your birthday by saying it's me. Like, you know, that's not enough. So that's a reasonable way to test this out. But this is, have you, have you guys recently heard this expression, glowy, glows? So somebody glows is like the person is a fed. It comes from feds infiltrating, like trying to redirect, from what I understand, redirect like homesteaders into radical, like more prepper stuff or like revolutionary stuff, gun-oriented stuff. They try to redirect that movement. So they identify somebody by seeing who's interested in kind of getting off the grid and they redirect by using super hot chicks with guns. But they're not real women. They're fake. And the way you can tell, like under certain light or something, I forget how you can tell, is that there's like an aura around the the individual, like the fake person. So these little girls are glowies. (laughs) They glow. They're created by the government to entrap people. But God bless them. They should definitely (laughs) get rid of these people. So what they did was they set up these things and... Facebook would direct these accounts that were clearly for children but had like an adult birth date into forums that have a lot of sex content. Other users of those forums would immediately realize there was a child in there and the child's account would get flooded with dick pics and propositions, really dangerous, scary stuff. And the New Mexico attorney general is saying that Facebook could control this and that they don't. And I think they could control it. I mean, I absolutely do. And I and I would normally like look for some angle in this story, but I know this stuff is absolutely rampant. The one thing I do believe is that they promote the sex stuff and the pedophilia and everything. They meaning the powers that be. Like Mark Zuckerberg is not 
you know, Facebook is definitely a government operation. I'm not going into that right now, but I've gone into it before. So the complaint follows a group of coordinated suits by 41 other states that claim that Meta has intentionally built its project, pro, products with addictive features that harm young, young users. Uh, addictive features, I mean, I can see why you'd want to do that. I'm not even sure I'm like, against that. But it also goes on to say that they misled the public about the dangers of its platforms for young people. And that is not okay. We do, we do need to not... I mean, I don't even like truth and advertising laws because I feel like you shouldn't believe anything. Just don't believe it. Forget it. Don't buy it. Walk away. Don't get your kids a phone. I was just lamenting the other day. Like, I just didn't realize. And I was warned. People in my traditional Catholic community warned me against phones and stuff. And I just didn't take it seriously enough. It's really hard. Again, average mom here. Like, it's really hard to keep up on everything. You know, it really is. And that's what it's all about is that, that you, they just, you cannot keep up on everything. Anyway, and I can't keep up on all of the news, but I think we got six stories out there. I think that was pretty good. Any other glowies or feds? So let's just let's just wrap it up here with a few more comments. So here's how I'm going to ask for comments. This is how I need the comments to look because what I really want, just put it between the asterisks, because what I really want is for people to have the chat on the side and then just highlight for me stuff you want me to throw up. And I, I can actually throw it up in real time if we do it that way, instead of having to wait till the end, because at the end I have to actually go through and read it all. So, um, yes, Whitney Webb's article on AI. I have not read it yet, but I will. I'm surprised you can watch this show in England. Yes, if anybody hasn't heard, CFR Network, that's the, the noble noble. He's my friend from over there and we are going to do our year end show the year in review did we set a date for that noble oh we're gonna to have to start promoting it because we can do it live and people can talk lifelog yes lifelog is working as intended lifelog was created by the feds it was facebook it shut down the day facebook emerged very funny all right we gotta go babes Fabulous show. Thank you. Thank you for coming. All right. Love you guys. Thanks for coming. This is Monica Perez, and this, is ha this has been a news roundup. Do we like the name? Do we like it? <laughs> Let's see. So I'll take a survey. Bye, guys. Thank you.